Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. I hope you missed it in the last couple weeks. It is Victory Lane. Today is episode 68. As you see, we got Heather DeBow on the show. We had a great, long, engaging, fun conversation. Emphasis on the long, though. So long that I had to cut it into two parts for the first time in this podcast history, and she's actually an OG listener of Victory Lane, so we got to give her her due, give her two specific parts. So today you're going to hear part one of our conversation. In today's episode 68, as I said, I actually have been replaced. How you ask? Well, my dad, who's been on the podcast before, as you guys know, he listens and he's been giving me crap for not doing my homework enough and not doing my due diligence when it comes to paying homage to whoever I name the episode after. So, for example, you know, when it was the 43rd episode, that was the Richard Petty episode, right? When it was episode 29, that was the Kevin Harvick episode. Well, he has decided to contribute to the podcast. Today's episode 68, and to introduce who we're going to name this episode after... I'm going to throw it over to Papa Siegel. Take it away. Welcome to the Way Back When portion of today's podcast. Today we celebrate the number 68. That number has been included in the Cup Series a little over 400 times, 403 to be exact. A number of notable drivers use that number over the years, including some old school names you might remember, like Lenny Pond, Bob Derringer, and Bobby Hamilton the elder, not junior. However, today we highlight and pay homage to Janet Guthrie, who no doubt is a trailblazer for women in motorsports. Long before Danica Patrick did it, Miss Guthrie was the first woman to compete in both the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500. She drove the number 68 in all but two of her 33 Premier Series starts. Her best finish was a sixth place showing at Bristol in 1977. If you haven't already seen the ESPN 30 for 30 show featuring her, it's definitely worth checking out. Other drivers worth noting who also drove the 68 are Derek Cope, who ran it in 1988 and 1989, but not in 1990, when he famously won the Daytona 500 after Dale Earnhardt suffered a flat tire on the last lap. And lastly, since the Indy 500 is coming up in about 10 days, we pay homage to Gary Bettenhausen, who ran the 68 in NASCAR three times in 1967. If you're not familiar with Gary Bettenhausen, he was part of the famous racing family, which is a part of sprint car and Indy history as much as the Unser's, Andretti's, and Foyt's. His father, Tony, ran in the Indy 500 14 times, until he was killed in 61 at the Speedway during a testing accident. Gary's brother, Tony Jr., also raced Sprint and Indy cars and was a kart series owner. 
His older brother Merle lost an arm to a fiery crash in 1972 during his first and only IndyCar start. Gary Bedenhausen was no stranger to adversity himself. During a sprint car race in 1974, he crashed and crushed his left arm so badly it left him paralyzed. He regained enough mobility to allow him to drive again, but he never really fully recovered. Imagine the guts required to strap into an Indy car in the 1970s, effectively with only one usable arm, and wheel it over 224 miles an hour for a four-lap average. Bedenhausen did just that in 1991, and he was the fastest qualifier that year. That's it for today. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Looking forward to more of those in the future. And by the way, for you listeners, if you like that, let me know, and I'll pass along the message. He's not on social media because he's retired now, and he's enjoying his life after working, but I'll I'll make sure the message gets to him. So thank you, Dad. Um, We are back. Better than ever, after a couple weeks, I was in Acadia National Park with my girlfriend. It was fun. Uh, I don't know if camping's for me, considering how hot and sticky it was most of the time, but the scenery scenery was gorgeous. company was gorgeous, too, if you're listening, Robin. Um, But it was great. It was a great, great time, but I'm happy to be back with the television, some NASCAR that I'm watching every now and then, Um, and hopefully you all followed along with my trip, but this is not really where I'm going to tell you about it because you come here to get your NASCAR news, your interviews, discussion, rumors, analysis, and more. You don't come here for a National Park review, and I understand that. So before we get to Heather, we're going to recap the racing from Michigan this past weekend and all the Kevin Harvick domination that came with it, plus how him and Rodney Childers are cementing themselves as one of the best driver crew chief duos to ever do it in this sport. I firmly believe that. If you look at the numbers, we're not going to get too deep into the minutia, but we'll chat about it. Plus the star of the show, as I mentioned, the wonderful, lovely Heather DeBeau. Let's start this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned... <laughs> Cup Series doubleheader from Michigan International Speedway. I know we missed the Kansas recap and the recap of New Hampshire, which both seem like forever ago at this point. Um, but here's all you need to know. Denny Hamlin won Kansas. Brad Keselowski won New Hampshire. That's about it, I would say. (laughs) Um, But let's talk about this past weekend from the Irish Hills, Michigan International Speedway, doubleheader. Unfortunately, we saw the TV ratings were not that good, but the racing, specifically on Saturday, was. Um, Kevin Harvick swept all three stages, so you might say, eh, that's boring. Uh, Wins his second race in a row at Michigan, um, and then he did it again the next day, spoiler alert. But the action in that specific one was really good. I wasn't able to watch it live. I was actually on my friend's boat, uh, yacht, so to speak. It was very luxurious and amazing. So I'm not going to turn down that opportunity to watch a random race on a Saturday for Michigan. But he dominated. He clearly had the fastest car. And it was the same car that he won at Indianapolis Motor Speedway earlier on this season. It was his fifth W of the year, which at that point tied him with Lee Petty, Hall of Famer Lee Petty. And like I mentioned, it was also his second win in a row from that two-mile oval in the Midwest. Here he was speaking on the dominance since coming to Stuart Haas Racing at that specific track. Because ever since 2014, him, Rodney Childers, Dax, Cheddar, everybody on that four team, they have been nothing but dominant at Michigan. They haven't won every time, but they've had race-winning speed every time. Well, anytime we come to Michigan, 
since I've been at Stuart Haas Racing, these cars have been just lightning fast. And it's um, it's definitely a place that we feel like we should come up here and contend for the win. And, you know, today our Bushlight Apple Ford Mustang was just on rails, could go bottom, top, middle, uh, was fast down the straightaway, would do everything that you wanted to do. Just uh, got challenged by a whole bunch of restarts at the end. Uh, that, that made it kind of crazy. But uh, in, in the end, it was a, a great day for us. Everybody did a great job, called a great race, and we capitalized on a fast car and put it in victory lane. And he turned around the next day, started 20th thanks to an invert, did not win stage one. That went to his teammate Clint Boyer, but he did win stage two, and he did win the final one for his second win in a row, third career win in a row at Michigan, second win in as many days. He becomes the first driver since Richard Petty, the King back in 1971 to win back-to-back races on back-to-back days. And if you saw my tweet, you know where he won those races. Um, But if you didn't, it was at Saratoga Springs and Islip, both in New York. I want to say those are on Long Island, but who knows? This was Kevin's sixth, I was going to say second, sixth win of the year. And the year that's really been unique, if you ask Kevin, when it comes to the COVID restrictions, the COVID protocols, the break that was in between everything. This has been one for the books. Well, I think COVID makes it unique, first off, and, and just the circumstances that, that it takes to get to the racetrack. Um, you know, I think a lot of that just goes into, you know, how prepared our team is and the details that they're covering to uh, get the cars right and get them close and come to the racetrack and watch the pit crew perform and watch Rodney make great calls. And, you know, uh, I get to race the car on the racetrack and do the best that I can. So, um on the days when, when things aren't, you know, going like we want them to with the handling of the race car, we figure out a way to, you know, have some good pit strategy or restarts or what, you know, they have a great pit stop on pit road. And, you know, when one side of it's down, there's, there's somebody there to, to pick up the pieces on the other side. And that's, that's what it takes to, uh, you know, to run well week in and week out, because in, in the circumstances that we're in, you're just not going to hit it every week. You're just going to have to battle through it and try to have the best day that you can. So, as far as, you know, where it ranks, it's, it's really hard. I, I just, you know, I just, I don't think about things like that. I just go week to week. And, and as you get to the end of the season, you can kind of sit back and, and really uh, look back on the things that have happened. And, and that's, you know, that's the same thing that we'll do this year. But it's been a great year. You know, can't argue with that. How about the man who set up the rocket ship that won those races, Rodney Childers? They've had some great seasons since being together, starting in 2014, I mean, you had the title that year, 2015. They outdid themselves but did not win the championship. That went to Kyle Busch. And then 2018, I think they won a a career high for Kevin, eight races. This one, they're on pace to break that record and statistically go down in the history books, rivaling Jeff Gordon's season with Ray Evernham in the 90s. So how has this season been compared to the other good ones that he's had atop the pit box? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the, the best ones we've had, you know, as a group. You know, you said something about 2018, and, you know, 2018 was a special year with winning, um, you know, with winning eight points races and the all-star race, you know, to have nine uh, total was a, a great year for us and a great year for our company, too. You know, I think that year Stuart Haas had won 11 races. So, um, you know, this year's, you know, ranks right up there. Uh, it's been a, a great year for us, and uh, like you said, there's still a lot of races to go and a lot of races that we can we can win, and, uh, you know, your goal is always to go and, and try to win all of them, and, um, you know, that's probably not going to happen, but, you know, that's what we try to try to do and, and put our best foot forward. 
Also, my good friend Jeff Gluck asked Rodney if he planned to run this car again because it's three for three now. Two wins at Michigan, one win at Indianapolis, and it's been dominated each and every time that it's hit the racetrack. Rodney was kind of non-committal on that. He basically said, eh, that's a secret. I'll decide. Um, but I asked if he had a name for this car because if you remember when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was winning super speedway races left and right, they named that car Amelia. And back in the day before I really got into the sport, when Jeff Gordon and Ray Evernham at Hedrick Motorsports had that T-Rex car with Jurassic Park on it that dominated the Winston and the NASCAR basically changed their entire rule book because it was that good. Yeah, they named that T-Rex. So good cars develop funny names. So I was curious, and you know, Rodney's kind of a stoic guy, wanted to see if I could maybe lighten up the mood a little bit because he seemed a little stressed out on the Zoom call, if they had any plans to name this car. Hey, Rodney, congratulations on the win. I know in past cars that have been very dominant, um, specifically the one that Dale Jr. ran at Super Speedways, got a nickname. That one was Amelia. But since this one is three for three and it shows no real signs of not winning anytime soon, have you guys thought of a nickname that you want to attach to this thing? <laughs> nah, I mean, uh, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff. You know, we've, we've had some good cars over the years with the four team and and some of them have won a lot of races and uh, you know, just we uh we call it 081 and and we keep it uh you know going through the system just like any other car and um you know we just have to figure out our car schedule and where we're going to run it again and, and keep moving forward with it oh well i tried can't say i didn't try before we talk about xfinity trucks and arca i just want to like i mentioned in the open touch on the historical significance that these two guys um, are putting together in terms of this season. I mean, they got six wins already. You got four races left to go before the playoffs start. Then you got 10 races in the playoffs. And okay, I was talking to, to Robin about this earlier. Like nowadays, championships are not really what drivers gauge themselves off of. Whereas before, when the point system was such that it rewarded you for consistency throughout an entire season, you based yourself and gauge yourself competition wise and historically off of championships. But now that this format has been implemented and it's more so championship four appearances and race wins, because if you get to the championship four, it's anybody's game. I mean, we saw that in 2018, Joey Logano won the thing and nobody was really expecting him to win. Um, we saw it last year, Kyle Busch, he was not really that hot coming in at all, but he won the race. He had a, his best day on that specific evening and he won the championship. So drivers are kind of basing their success historically in this era based off championship four appearances and Brad Keselowski has talked at length about race victories as well um, Kevin Harvick passed Lee Petty he's in the top 10 for the all-time wins list it's very conceivable that he's going to pass Kyle Busch this year because I think he's one or two behind him passing Dale Earnhardt that may be a tall task but if Kevin keeps going at the rate that he's going now which he already has six wins this season and he's got at least two more in him, at least two more good seasons, I'd say, in him. It's not crazy to think that he could do that. And Rodney Childers, he's had a lot of success in the past. You know, uh, my friend Joseph Wolken wrote a great article for Forbes about how Kevin recruited Rodney to Stuart Haas before 2014 started. And there was a lot of cool nuggets in that piece. I like that Rodney basically called Kevin out on his bullshit and was like, hey, uh, it's cool that you want me. But I don't want to be chastised on the radio, and I don't want you to be throwing temper tantrums because that's not my style. 
And Kevin, essentially, with the birth of his son, Keelan, changed for Rodney. So I thought that was interesting. I really suggest you guys reading that. Just go to Joseph's Twitter account. But I just want you guys to understand that Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, they're not on Chad Knauss, Jimmy Johnson level yet. They're not on a Ray Evernham, Jeff Gordon level yet. Um, but right now, they are the best driver crew chief pairing in the sport. I think them, they're 1A. Chris Gabehart and Denny Hamlin are 1B. And then you got everybody else that's falling in line. But RC and KH, they're killing it right now. How about some Xfinity Series racing from Road America in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin? I saw a bet that had AJ Allmendinger, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Sindrick to win the race, and they were heavily favored, obviously, because those are the three best road racers, and um, especially Road America. And if you took that bet, you won money because that is what happened. Austin Sindrick wheels that 22 Team Penske forward to victory lane once again. This is a sixth career win, his fourth win this season, and all of those wins have come in the last five races. He is on fire. I think this is a special racetrack to, to any racer. You know, you hear guys like Mario Andretti talk about it being the most complete racetrack in the world. And, uh, the, the, the fans that come out to this place, whether there's there's a pandemic or not, you know, it's, it's such a great atmosphere. It's such a great family atmosphere. And, it makes you want to do even more as a driver. Uh, it challenges you in every type of in every type of way, especially when there's weather. Um, but if, it also feels awesome to be able to win at all three of the natural natural born road courses on the Xfinity Series schedule with Watkins Glen, Mid Ohio, and, and uh, Road America. Those are those are three incredibly special tracks for me in different ways, and um, I, I'm, I'm so proud that I get to drive these race cars. Back to Michigan for the Truck Series. How about Zane Smith coming out of nowhere? to win that event, his first NASCAR National Series victory. And he was pretty emotional after on the front stretch. This win meant a lot to him, you could tell. And he was able to calm down a little bit, um, He and he talked on the Zoom call. But I was pretty happy for Zane. He's, he's a cool guy. He competed in some ARCA events, including ARCA West, and I think ARCA East as well, a handful. And he's in the best stuff, you could argue, in the trucks and the GMS racing equipment. But he finally delivered. And I, I think as he says here, you know, They've been able to piece together races in the first half and the second half and in the late stages, and this time everything finally came together for them. The stars aligned, and Driver did a pretty good job behind the wheel as well. I didn't know how I was going to run this year just from, I guess, lack of experience, um, but I knew that I'd have uh, shots at winning from um, just GMS racing. We knew we were going to be competitive week in and week out, um, but throughout this year, I feel like we've already given up three wins um, just from dumb luck and um, just little things from me, um, just dumb little mistakes. And uh, finally, we capitalized on those when it mattered. Ark also competed at Michigan, and it was Riley Herbst who snapped his three-year winless drought, wins that one for JGR. I saw Nick Bromberg actually had a tweet that was kind of funny. Um, and it essentially said Riley Herbst has not won in ARCA in like three years in a JGR car. Meanwhile, Ty Gibbs has like five wins in the last year or so. And that's like driving a Corvette in a field of like Toyota Corollas or something like that, which I can't really argue with. But good for Riley. It's been a long time coming. And as he mentions right here, it actually had been weighing on him a little bit because it wasn't just ARCA that he hadn't won in three years. Any NASCAR series at all. He's obviously competing full time in the Xfinity series this year in the same car with the same paint scheme most of the time. And he's run a couple truck races as well and ARCA last year, but 
It's been a long time coming for him in the past three years, and he got that monkey off his back finally. When you don't win for a while, it starts to mess with you, you get to your head, and it's uh, you just got to be strong. Um, know that if you keep doing what you're doing, working hard, uh, doing your homework, and uh, having fast race cars that Joe Gibbs Racing gives me, um, sooner or later you're going to crack through the door again and get another win. Um, but, but, yeah, it feels good. No matter what series, um, wins are hard to come by, so it's good to get one. Of course, uh, I think it's been three and a half, almost, yeah, three and a half years since I've won anything. Um, so, uh, like you said, I've been fast. Uh, I've been leading late stages in other races and just throwing them away. So, uh, it's good to close it out. Interview time. I mentioned it. Here's Heather DeBow, pit reporter extraordinaire, all-around great gal. Um, we broke this into two parts. Um, I knew it was going to run long because all my interviews run long, but especially with her because this this kind of felt just like a friendly conversation as it always does with Heather. And um, as you'll see, like this this interview specifically is going to run for about like 45 or so minutes, and that's only half of it. And then we talked for a little bit before the Zoom call started, and then we talked for another like 45 minutes after the Zoom call ended, um, just about everything. But, and I want to apologize for the audio quality for the first like 10 or so minutes of this interview. Um, she was at her apartment in Phoenix and the internet and her computer were really spotty. So we tried it on her phone. It wasn't any better. But then she got in her car, drove to a Walmart parking lot where the connection was much better and we made it work. So thank you to Heather for being so flexible. I told her we could do it another day. She's like, no, we're doing it now. I committed. We're doing it. So I was like, you know what? You are a real OG listener of Victory Lane. So I apologize for the audio quality at the beginning. It wasn't Heather's fault. It wasn't my fault. It was 2020's fault. But we talk about a lot in this first installment. I mean, anywhere from how she got started in motorsports. By the way, she's living in Arizona right now, which is a hot spot during this entire pandemic. Um, my favorite part of this installment was kind of the reminiscing of when she was with Speed, the Speed Channel, and how she started there and Man, it just sounded like a great time to be employed by them and traveling to the racetrack every week. I guess you could say when NASCAR was in its heyday. Um, I mean, that was that had to have been really, really fun, and we reminisced about that, including the late, great Steve Burns. Some background on herself in terms of how she got involved in motorsports in the first place, how seeing an ad on MySpace changed everything for her and made her go down this path of things. Interviewing, uh, maybe that's the second. No, this is this installment. Her first on-camera interview with the GOAT. Yeah, how about being thrown into the fire with that one? Tons of funny stories. Heather is the best. She really is. If you haven't had the privilege to speak with her or watch her do her thing, not only is she a great person, hilarious, funny, but she is damn good at what she does, whether it's pit reporting, doing an open, anything. Um, I mean, she, is, she kicks ass. So without further ado, here is part one of my interview with my good friend Heather DeBoe. This is a much-anticipated guest to have on the podcast. I'm so honored to not only be talking to her, but seeing her somewhat face-to-face -face virtually because I usually see her almost every weekend, every other weekend. It is the pit reporter extraordinaire and all-around great gal. That's actually what I wrote in my notes, by the way. Heather DeBow. I'm so happy to see you in person. I know we've talked a couple times on the phone since the pandemic began about work and life and everything, but seeing you in the flesh makes me happy. So thank you for being with me. Well, thanks, Davey, for having me. <laughs> or should I say thanks, Dave? <laughs> no, <laughs> thanks, I'm excited Dave. to be here. This is so cool because, I mean, I've been listening to the podcast. I'm a big fan, first-time caller, 
big fan. I'm driving my semi truck. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, this is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to see you because it's been so long like that we've actually seen each other. We haven't seen each other. We've talked, and I've watched like some of your podcasts. I feel like I've seen you, but now we're actually face to face. It's pretty cool. I know. And like last year or maybe the year before, I don't remember, but when I started the podcast, I like mentioned it in jest to you and you're like, oh, I'll check it out. And I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. She'll be like everybody else and just not actually listen to it. And then we came back the next week to K&N race and you're like, oh, I was actually just listening to your podcast on the way here. I was like, no, you weren't. And then she's like, yeah. And she pulls out her phone and you showed me. I was like, oh my God, you're a real homie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I listened because you would interview the drivers. So I was kind of doing it as homework because you would ask them questions and I, well, Davey already asked them and I already got the info. So we're good there. Or I could follow up on something you already asked. So I low key was like stealing your content, but also I'm going to lie. I am so far behind on podcasts. So I have a confession. I haven't listened to your really any. And the reason why is because I don't drive anymore. I'm not traveling as much or really at all. So mm-hmm. that was what I, I drove to the airplanes and in between. So uh, I need to catch up. So I apologize. I'm behind there. I will listen. Oh, and then also the gyms are closed. And that's a big place yep. that I listen to podcasts too. So I'm struggling on keeping up, but I'll get up. Don't worry. It's bad for me, too, because we just came back from like a week and a half, two week trip to Acadia National Park in Maine. And I I didn't listen to any podcast like at all. The only time I did is like when I was in the bathroom for five minutes or like my girlfriend went to shower and then she'd come back and she'd hear some faint noise. She's like, are you really listening to a podcast? I was like, yes, I can't get too behind, but I'm still (laughs) so behind because I don't just listen to NASCAR ones like. I listen to all-encompassing sports ones, and some of them are every single day during the week. Some of them are multiple times a week. So, like, I'm literally – I listen to them on one-and-a-half speed anyway. But right. now I've been listening to some of them on two-time speed, and everything everybody's talking like this, and I can't really understand what they're saying, but I needed to get through them. And it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's such a mess. I literally have, like, 55 or 60, like, in my oh, queue. Wow. And yeah. I'm getting through the time-sensitive ones first, but, like – I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday, August 12th, and Daytona road course is coming up, and we just raced at Michigan. And I was literally listening to, like, the preview of New Hampshire, which was, like, two weeks ago, and I was like, this is so outdated, but the OCD in me needs to listen to it and, like, check it off, and I'm so behind, and it's giving me so much anxiety. It's like, Ugh. Yeah, but you'll miss, like, if you don't listen, you might miss stuff. Like, a couple of them, they actually talk in detail. Like, some of my favorites mm-hmm. are obviously yours, but, like, door bumper clip just always right. like to listen because they always say the truth and then they talk about people. You kind of get a little more of the scoop on the drum. And so, you know, that's just one, but I listen to a lot of them, but I, I, no. pain. I feel your pain. I'm going to make an effort to be better. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. And I mean, some of them are just kind of like blabbery, but there's ones like DBC and like some other news ones here and there that have like legit in-depth interviews and they're fun to listen to. And especially with not being able to travel on an airplane or in the car or at the gym, it's like, I got to find times to listen to when I'm just like sitting on my ass, doing nothing, eating chips on the couch, getting fat. Right. So it's like, it's, it's a tough, tough thing. But I mean, you talked a little bit about the pandemic. You're not traveling as much. You can't go to the gym every day. And those two things I know are very important to you. How has this whole ordeal affected you on a personal level? I know everybody kind of handles it differently, but we've talked throughout and you're in Arizona right now, which started out kind of okay and then developed as kind of a hot spot. How is everything going over there now and how are you personally? 
So I'm good. I'm, I'm in a good place right now. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the pandemic has been a bit of a roller coaster for us. It's uh, mentally exhausting because you're constantly like, what's happening? What's doing this? Um, you know, it can just be overwhelming at times. Um, sort of a couple different phases. I feel like right now I'm, in, I'm living my best life <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I've kind of gotten to a form of like, I don't know, acceptance or just like, okay, like I'm not as freaked out about it. Or, I don't know. And this is the thing. Everybody has their own, not only opinions, but their own ways of dealing with stuff. So come to the point right. that like you do what makes you comfortable. If you want to stay in your house all day and not go anywhere, great. If you venture out and go hiking, great. If you don't want to mask, separate yourself from people. But like, you know, like I'm just kind of like whatever makes you feel comfortable, just do what you need to do because you have to make yourself be first. Obviously, don't go to any crazy extreme to be a total jerk to people about it. But like, it's okay to just do you. So that's kind of where I'm at. But um, it's been really, weird. I feel like, day there for a while i'm like oh yeah we'll definitely be back at the track in like two weeks it's gonna be great and here we are and it's august and i'm still just at home so uh yeah we we are like the problem child i guess but if i'm being honest it's a little weird because um yeah like our kids have gone, gone up but i don't personally really know anybody that's had it like i i've heard of a couple but no really close to me so sometimes i almost feel like i am watching the news from like out of state because to me i don't really see that much i don't know but maybe i'm just removed enough to where it's not like i've um i haven't had to go to the hospital or anything so i haven't seen anything firsthand i've only heard what's on the news well but uh i've i've done a lot of like um staycations i guess if you um like we went to sauna and my boyfriend has a, a razor so we take that out from time to time so that's wow. also a good escape because when you're out in nature and out doing stuff and you don't have service and you don't have your phone that's when those are the times where you it's like nothing's happening today. Yeah. so that's how i escape and that's what i feel the best it's just let's just go for a razor ride and go out and not be able to look at social media or see the news because sometimes you need to take a break from that. That, that really makes you feel better. Take a break. <laughs> Cause yeah. believe me, it'll still be there when you come back to it. Oh yeah. And you, that's the thing too. Like when I was in Acadia, we didn't have service for most of the days, like on the hikes and it was just so nice to just not like worry about, you know, what was happening in the news or like what was happening in the NASCAR world. And I was just like, yeah, like, do I miss it sometimes? Sure. But you all like everybody needs a little bit of time to themselves to just like get away and just it's cool that you have like all these hiking places around you close by. I know that you celebrated your birthday recently and you did one for your birthday. And I wish that I had a razor here. We have a canoe and a kayak that I do sometimes, but that ain't oh, nothing fun. compared to a razor. Yeah, the razor is uh, an escape. But it, it's really fun because you can go so many places. And there, and here in Arizona, there's so many trails, not just hiking, but also off-roading. And then there's different, um, like, geographical places. Like, one minute you go to a ride in the desert, or you can drive a hours and be in the pine tree. So there's a lot of variety um, within Arizona to go. So it's kind of fun. And then, you, and then you're just away from everybody. You're in your own little car. And if you go with people, they're in their car, and you're just like a little caravan. So... It's fun. It's a good. Let's get into kind of the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk to you about, which is 
your career, so to speak, in the motorsports realm. And people may know you from pit reporting for the k Pro Series West, now ARCA West. And I know we were just talking, you were scheduled to do some of that this year, but it's changed a little as has everything with the pandemic. So what have you been doing lately to stay busy? But I know that you were, albeit not really on camera, so to speak. You were still at Evergreen in Douglas County this past weekend for ARCA West doing some work for track pass. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So unfortunately, just because of everything that's going on, um, it's been really difficult for all companies to continue to have the same um, efforts put into their broadcast just because you know, when things aren't working, you don't have money. Therefore, you don't have money to keep paying people to work, if that makes sense. And that's not a negative thing. It's just kind of how it is right now. I'm sure a lot of people, yeah. it's realistic. So unfortunately, all of my work season um, first was postponed, then was um, terminated. A few of my uh, contracts were terminated just because, again, it comes down to sort of a money situation. Yeah, so unfortunately, sucks. I know it's a big, but... It is what it is. It's not, it makes me feel better that it's not because of something that I did. Like it wasn't thing. It's just kind of, it is what it is. So, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately I'm I'm not going to be pit reporting on camera for the Arc West series. Like I, um, suppose this season, but they were, um, able to bring me on to still assist in a way. So I'm kind of like a pit producer sort of, field producer kind of where they needed somebody to hold the microphone and ask the questions. So it's a little weird because I'm still sort of doing my job, but it's a lot less than what I would normally do because I'm not giving in-race reports during the race. Um, and so it kind of fails it back. So really just ask the pole interview, winner and third, and um, we get all the shots we need for the show. Um, and goes live on track pass when we're at the track because that's a new deal this year that they've been able to do for the touring series and a few other series which is really nice for fans able to be racing live but it still airs as a delayed on NBCSN later on so I just kind of help facilitate what's happening at the track to make sure that they get everything they need and it comes in handy because since I have been out there I kind of know what's going on so I'm able to really help out in that um so that's why they they kind of saw the value in having me and sometimes even though it's not on camera and even though i'm not pit reporting i would love to be doing because that's what i love to do i still need work so i'm not i'm not above doing other gigs or other jobs as long as it gets me to the racetrack so i've worked a couple of those and it's been fun it's definitely different because you have microphone on boom and you're, you know, trying to stay six feet away from somebody, but yeah. it's a little challenging to try to hit someone in the face with the mic, you know, <laughs> like you're try- like getting that down at first, it was a little different, um, but no, and it's good to be out there and just be able to see everybody, but it's definitely a different atmosphere as most people know, whether they work in the industry or not, just watching any of the NASCAR races, it's definitely a lot different than it used to be, way scaled back as far as Peter at the track and out of but it's good definitely to be able to get out of the house and do something. So I'm happy to still be fortunate enough to be a little off of it. For sure. Yeah. Holding a boom mic is a skill that I think a lot of people did not know that they would need to develop <laughs> this year. But nevertheless, here we are. So I don't know how well I edited that, but peek behind the curtain for you listeners. 
uh, the connection where Heather was is pretty shitty. So she tried on her phone, was still not that good, then offered to hop in the car, drive to Walgreens or Walmart, and she's currently sitting in the Walmart parking lot with the air conditioning blasting because it's 99 degrees in Arizona right now, uh, because that's how devoted she is to me in Victory Lane. She got in the car, and now we have better service, and we can hear you crystal clear, Heather. Woohoo! I'm committed, man. We're going to make this happen. You're damn right. It'd be great. And I have a great view to people watch while we talk because, you know, Walmart's great for that. So oh, we're good. <laughs> let's make Victory Lane great again. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> so before we had to do a little switcheroo on the one, two, you were talking about how you've basically done almost everything under the sun when it comes to television production, broadcasting. You've been the one on camera, holding the camera, behind the camera, holding the microphone, doing a whole hodgepodge of things. I think that probably gives you a leg up on some of your competition because, and we've had this kind of conversation before, right? I mean, if your ultimate goal is to be a reporter on camera, which you have accomplished and continue to accomplish, it makes you a better, well-rounded reporter to know the things that are going on behind the scenes and the people that are pushing the buttons to make those things happen. Would you kind of agree with that? To know the more is, is all the better for you? Yes. The more you know, the better. And that, that goes along with anything in life, right? Like the more you know, the more knowledge you have about it, the more you can learn, the more people you ask. For sure. It's never going to hurt you. So I know that like for me, I didn't go to school for broadcast journalism or anything like that. So everything I've learned has just been a hands-on, been pushed in the deep end of the pool, go ahead and try that, figure it out kind of situation. But I also started doing anything from, you know, I worked as a runner a couple times, which a runner for a broadcast, you're basically everybody's like go-to person for anything they might need. So you literally could be driving someone on a golf cart to go drop them off to where they need to be. You could be running to in and out to pick up an order for the whole entire TV compound. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I even at one point had to make somebody's iced tea. I mean, literally I've done it all. So, but even though that's not exactly what I wanted to be doing, I still gained some knowledge on how the business works, you know, who you can go to, to ask questions for that can help you out, who you might want to steer clear of in the future. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like there's all kinds of things you can learn, but also oh, yeah. you see how the behind the scenes works. So you appreciate it more when you're in front of the camera. And especially if you start working as an on-camera pit reporter or anchor or whatever it is, usually you have to start lower lower to the bottom, right? Like, not the bottom, but, like, sometimes the people do jump over yeah. the starting point, but you usually start on a lower-budget show. So a lot of times, not only are you on-camera, but you're the producer of yourself as well. So you have to kind of see the shot, yeah. set it up so it looks good, you know, write the backstory, talk MMJ to the people. action. You're setting exactly. up the shot. You're taking the shot. You're editing the shot. You're writing your script. You're editing it all together. You're yes. sending it out. You're doing it all. Yes. So the more that you can do, the better. Because I, I firmly believe, like, I've never, I've never wanted to be somebody that thinks that they're better than somebody else. And I also am a big picture person. And I've always just kind of be, been that way that if I see something that needs to be done, I just do it instead of always going to the person whose job it is. Does that make sense? Because I yeah. think as long if you work as a team with people and you help each other out, you're better off in the end. So that that also plays into being an on-camera reporter because if you're willing to, you know, just 
be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what's going on and use your knowledge to help, whether it's your job or not. It'll only make you better because like I said, I was supposed to be on camera pit reporting this year and now I'm just doing the pit producer position yep. because circumstances changed, but you got to be willing to uh, take whatever's thrown at you. So it only, it, it can only help you to know more. So don't ever feel like, Oh, well, if I want to be a pit reporter, I only have to do on camera jobs or I need to get on camera jobs. That's not always the case. And a lot of times it's really hard to get those positions. So if you don't get them, don't be discouraged. Like think outside the box and think, okay, how can I still be a part of that broadcast? Because it will help you in the end. It always does. This is a podcast, but it's also doubling as like a motivational speech to me, which you've already done like <laughs> 20,000 times. <laughs> yes. Well, you but, helped me out too. That's what we do yes. for each other. That's correct. So I, I won't lie to you. I did a little bit of stalking on you, <laughs> even though I know a lot about you. So you talked about college and you didn't go there for a broadcast degree. You got your undergraduate degree from Mesa Community College and then you got your BA from Arizona State. Shout out to LinkedIn for that. Um, so before we get into the racing part of things, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you got to that point, you know, up until when you were 21, 22 and then you know, went to graduate school. What was your career trajectory? What did you want to do? What what brought you to Arizona State for your for your bachelor's degree? So I actually had no idea what I wanted to do at all whatsoever. So growing up, I start. What was my first job? Okay, let me back up. My dad always told me, like when I was getting to that age of driving and working, he said, you know, if you want to have your car by the time you're 16, you better go get a job. So. <laughs> Heather went out and got a job at 15, which technically you have to be 16 to work, but they're not allowed to ask you your age. So nobody an tell anybody, nobody tell anyone, but I worked at 15 at a Mexican food restaurant as a hostess. Your secret so, safe here. Secret safe. So I saved enough money to um, buy a car. My dad actually ended up matching me. So I saved, I think I saved around $3,000, something like that. Nice. He matched me or gave me a little bit extra to buy my first car. But I started working at a Mexican food restaurant as a hostess. And then one day he was out getting tires for his truck. He said, hey, the tire shop needs some help. Maybe you should get a job there. So then I started working at Big O Tires, which is kind of like a discount tire Big o. sort of situation. Oh, yeah, Big O. So I worked there. I started out as just answering telephones and cashing customers out after school. And then worked my way all the way up into I was doing sales and selling mechanical and tires and wheels. And at one of the one of the uh, shops I worked at, because I worked at three big O tires over the course of like, I don't know, seven or eight years, something like that. And one of the owners ended up putting me I wasn't the manager, but I would like write everybody's schedules and yeah. stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So I started there and then. At that time, moving into college, I ended up going to community college first because I literally had no idea what I wanted to do, and but I was told I need to go to college by my parents, so I just they said, why don't you just go to community college, get your general studies out of the way, because you don't know what you're doing, so that's fine, and and that's okay if you still don't know what you're doing, because some days I feel like I still don't know what I want to be when You've I You've told me many a times on the okay. phone, TV, I don't know what I want to do. <laughs> I know, it's crazy, but... So I went to community college first and then I was working at Big O at the time and I was, I forget if I was looking into jobs or just kind of looking on the internet and um, I always watched racing. So just to back up a little bit, my dad used to race dirt modifieds 
and he actually started in dwarf cars and we did that all through high school just as a hobby so i spent my weekends at the dirt track with my dad we always watched nascar so i was this in arizona where you grew up so i was i was born in denver but uh we moved to arizona when i was i think nine or ten got it and then i kind of grew up here in arizona so the racing definitely happened my dad used to race at manzanita speedway which is a famed racetrack. It was one of my favorites. Unfortunately, it's no longer there, which mm. is terrible. But uh, we used to race there and just locally in Arizona. So, And we did it for fun just as a hobby. But we were always into racing. So when I was at Big O, I looked at NASCAR jobs one day while at work, you know, when we had a slope time. And I thought, oh, because they had marketing and all this stuff. And I thought, well, maybe I'll do business because everything's business. So maybe I'll just take my general studies and try to get into the business school. So I went to the business school, WP Carey at ASU. And then I said, well, I'll choose marketing because marketing is the easiest. (laughs) (laughs) So that's literally how I chose my degree was, well, I'm going to do business because everything's business and I'll do marketing because it's the easiest. But in the hopes of potentially getting a job working in NASCAR only because yeah. I had seen like, oh, okay, there's marketing jobs in NASCAR. That'd be kind of cool. So you did kind of have a career trajectory, at least in your mind, of like, I'd like to work in the sport. Yeah, a little bit. But it was it was not... It wasn't like a defining was, characteristic. Right, exactly. And it wasn't like something that I'm like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to do that. That's definitely why I'm going. It was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, that could be cool. Let's see what happens. And then yeah. I just kind of went through the motions. Um, but it was awesome it was going easy. to ASU. Yes, because it was easy, which is just so lame. But <laughs> hey, that's how. Sometimes that's just how it works. And you know, marketing is a wide, you know, area. So I've actually used my degree a little bit, not mm-hmm. in a professional kind of way. Like I never actually went and got a job doing marketing for a company. But you know, I've been able to use some of the knowledge that I learned just oh, yeah. on some of the stuff that I've done. But it's kind of funny when I talk about it, how I just was like, I don't know what I want to do. So let me just do the easiest route. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but then just to segue kind of how after college or what I was going to do out of college, I was um, I was on MySpace one day. Yeah, I'm going to take it all the way wow, back to MySpace. dating yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I probably shouldn't do that because a lot of people think I'm younger than I am. So pretend I didn't say that. But I found she meant an Facebook. Ad. She meant Facebook. I was on Facebook <laughs> and there was an ad for Speed Channel and it said, join in on the action, road tour team, NASCAR. And I was like, oh, what's that? I wasn't looking for anything. It was just off to the side, like one of those little banner ads. Yeah. And then clicked on it. And that's that's when my career started in NASCAR was finding a ad randomly on MySpace. That is pretty crazy. And that's, yes. that's crazy too, because I knew that story, but I, and I think you told me the MySpace thing, but I didn't know that it was so happenstance like that. I thought you were kind of seeking something out and somebody pointed you in the direction or whatever, but the more and more people I talk to, and I'm sure you have similar conversations, it's like, big people in the industry got their first break from something like that that was so asinine and innocuous that they just happened to come upon it on the internet or had a random conversation and that spurred something and it just always happens like that but that led me into my next question because I grew up like my I guess you could say middle school and I guess early high school years that was when the speed channel was kind of in the zone like that was the thing to watch if you were a nascar fan specifically but also motorsports in general like the speed stage on on the race weekends i would always want to get there early with my dad and 
try to get my Home Depot helmet from them or something like that. <laughs> and it was trackside was like appointment viewing television back in the day. Um, and they had a, tons of programming for like younger fans to older fans with Dave Despain and Wind Tunnel was on there. And you were there, albeit in a limited role, but like you were there in its heyday. And I'm curious as to what that was like for you, because that was, I guess, seemingly your first job in motorsports. And you were with, at that time, like the behemoth network of NASCAR racing. And you weren't just, you know, in the offices nine to five. You were on the road with the personalities, seeing all the fans engaging. That must have been like an incredible atmosphere. Yes. And you know what's so crazy is I just realized this. I could have thrown a Home Depot helmet to you. You possibly could have. Isn't that it's crazy? Very like, possible. We might have known each other back in the day and didn't even know that we knew each other. You know what's even more crazy? I got to find this picture, but I was probably, oh, I don't know, probably 17, something like that. And I remember I was like way chubbier, had no beard. I looked disgusting and I was wearing all my Kevin Harvick stuff. And I saw these like three really hot like speed girls. And I was like, dad, can I get a picture with them? And then he's like, yeah, sure. That could have been you. I don't know. I got to find the picture. Find it. I think it was it. I think it was in Dover because that that's one yep. of my home tracks. So if yep. if you possibly were wearing like a white speed tank top at Dover yep. like oh, yeah. seven years ago, we may have a picture together. I'll have to find that. You please find that because I, I, I it has to be us. It had to be me. But um That's so yeah, funny. so it was that was working for Speed Channel, those days were like some of the best days of my life. It was so much fun. So how that happens, just to go back to the ad that Please. I found, they were having a casting call. So they ended up flying like 40 or 50 people to Charlotte to do a three-day interview process to be hired as the Speed Road Tour team. So our job was to travel to every NASCAR Cup Series race, work at the speed stage, and get fans over and hyped up for the live shows. Now, of course, we did data capture. So we would ask people their email, sign up for the you know, program that they had, um, sign up to be a speed fanatic right. and you'll get free stuff. And so that's what we did, but we were on microphones talking to fans. And I remember auditioning for that and they had us dance and sing and we had to do almost like skits and all this stuff. They ended up hiring out of 55 people. And then we traveled, I did that. So that would have been 2009 was my first season with them. And then all the way up until they changed and rebranded Speed Channel to Fox Sports 1. And we did a little college football and stuff. But yeah, that's what I did was I was at the speed stage throwing T-shirts and Home Depot helmets because it's NASCAR race day built by the Home Depot. You're damn right it is. Then that was back when it was Kenny Wallace, Jimmy Spencer, John Roberts. Oh, my God. That was was the crew. So fun. It was so much fun. And you said, you know, you mentioned it. I didn't work in the office. I've lived in Phoenix this whole time traveling with NASCAR. So I've flown to every race that I've ever gone to. So weekends, I was at the speed stage, hanging out with all those guys and gals and, you know, Chris Savota and Wendy Venturini. And that was when Bob Dillner and Ray Dunlap and every like old school, you know, wind tunnel was the best. Yes. So yeah, it was good. Now I'm like reminiscing in my mind about it, but that's that's what what, I love. That's how I got in. That's how I got in is I had never even talked on a microphone before. I grew up doing dance competitions and dance team for high school and stuff. So I was comfortable being on stage in front of people, but that was always just dancing, never talking. So then once we got the microphone, it, it just opened up a whole other, you know, realm of things for me to do. And then being around TV because of speed channel and doing the live shows, 
you know, again, started meeting people, talking to people. And that's how I got an opportunity to do some on camera stuff. And it started kind of just, you know, we would do little promotions for the speed stage for like the big screens at the track. Like, mm -hmm. hey, fans, come on over and watch NASCAR trackside. It'll be on tonight after the Xfinity race or whatever yeah. it was. And then it would promote, hey, come on over and hang out with us. So that was like how we started on camera. And then you slowly got other opportunities to do some stuff. So okay, it was really so, fun. So when you first started doing that on the microphone, like at the speed stage, I, I'm I'm taking it that like, you know, in between the breaks for the live shows, you'd be the one that's getting on the mic like, go crazy for these random necklace and who wants a hat, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. leading into there, how comfortable were you being, I guess, in the public eye like that on a microphone? And then B, when was the moment where you realized, okay, maybe I want to pursue this on-camera thing? And then how did that kind of go from there? Like, was it automatically, this is definitely what I want to do? Was there any trepidation with it? Were you nervous? Take me through all of that. So when we first started with the team, it was definitely ner a little nerve-wracking because there were huge crowds that would come to the, the stage. I was and there. we would... Yes. <laughs> and uh, we would actually, before the show would start for our big shows like NASCAR Race Day and Trackside, we would do what we called a pre-show. So we would have like anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour just to entertain people and get them over there. So <laughs> I remember when we first would do it, I remember losing my voice. I remember being exhausted, like losing my breath because you'd run out of breath because you're running around and doing all this stuff like for an hour straight before yeah. the show would even start. Um, but as the year went on, it got easier. It got, uh, the more fun you had with it, the less nervous you were. And because you weren't really on camera, you were like, you would get a little more comfortable cause you could mess up and fans would laugh and we'd make jokes. And it ended up being a lot more comfortable than pretty much anything I've ever done. And I, I was actually laughing the other day because a friend of mine, you know, him, Christian Espinoza yep. and James Bickford, who used to race in the Canon West series, mm -hmm. they were watching my old YouTube videos of me on the speed stage. And then they were texting me and saying H bomb. Cause that was my nickname. We all had nicknames <laughs> and then fans would say H bomb. And so he, they were messaging me the other day and watching these old videos that my aunt had put on YouTube from that first year that I was out there when we came to Phoenix and stuff. So it's really embarrassing to watch back, but it was so much fun and so comfortable once we got the hang of it. Now, yeah. when we did the camera stuff, so my first ever on camera interview um, was Jimmy Johnson. So how that, how that happened is it's a good way I to start. I know. Right. Oh my gosh. Talk about nerve wracking. So, when I worked for Speed Channel, we technically worked for GMR Marketing because GMR was, uh, Speed was GMR's client. And okay. GMR also had the Lowe's account. So they would do these events called the Jimmy Jam, where Jimmy Johnson would have an event in a city um, where one of the race, where, where the races were. So they would be like, if the race was here in Phoenix, they'd have one on Thursday night prior to the race weekend. And they, they would invite Lowe's, you know, employees, fan club, club members, things like that. So right. They had the event here in 2009, and it was supposed to be Rutledge Wood and Kenny Wallace hosting it. And it was a live internet webcast, but Kenny couldn't make it. So my boss said, hey, do you want to help Rutledge co-host like, co this Jimmy Jam? And I said, sure, because I lived here in Phoenix, so I was already here on Thursday. They didn't have to change anyone's plane ticket. Right. So I was I was there and ready to go. So that was my first ever on-camera interview with right Jimmy place, Johnson. Right place, right time with seven times. Right place, right time. At that time, he was three-time, I believe. Okay. Um, so, so, and then they had a musical guest. So I think that night it was sister Hazel. So I got to interview those guys too. Wow. But I remember being 
pretty nervous, but once I was doing it, it kind of, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It was You're this adrenaline natural. rush. Right. And it was an adrenaline rush that I've never felt. And it was so much fun. And Rutledge, you know, he's been kind of a mentor from that point forward, but just man. working with him is always a good time. And he actually started at the speed channel, like I did doing what we did. Like, but he was like the original speed team, but he was like a DJ. So he any, was the anyway, hype man. He was like the OG the hype, hype man. man. Right. So I, so he paved that path as well yeah. for the road tour team. So anyhow, I remember interviewing Jimmy and being like, Oh, that was so awesome. So we're watching sister Hazel. Cause we're at the musical port of the part of the day or evening, I should say. And Jimmy comes up to me and he goes, Hey, and I'm like, huh, what? Huh? I was more nervous then in that moment that he was talking to me than I was actually interviewing him. Right. And he said, hey, um, great job out there. I had no idea you've never done that before. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. thanks, Jimmy. You know, like I was so like nervous, but I guess Rutledge told Jimmy, because I don't know how the conversation went he down. He was probably like, hey, like, like she hasn't done this before. Like, I'm sure she'll do a good job, but just like, you know, be nice right. to her or something right so it might have been i think it might have been after that he said something because he didn't he didn't know previously okay. that i'd never done it so i think it was after the interview i don't know if jimmy asked rutledge like oh like who's heather or, or rutledge was like yeah heather's like she did it like, i don't know and so that meant a lot to me because here i am interviewing a three-time champion in nascar which has now become probably one of the greatest drivers to ever drive in nascar He's right yeah. Seven time. He's probably been interviewed even at that time by thousands of people, mm -hmm. whether it was radio, media or, you know, um, the Today Show or any of those other big interviews he's done. So for him to say that to me, I was like, thanks. So I've always held on to that. Like, all right, you could do this. Jimmy Johnson said you, you have Jimmy's blessing. Said you did a good job. <laughs> so that was kind of how I got into it. And yeah, it's 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 always nerve wracking. Um I like to say, and a lot of people have told me this too, if you're not nervous when you're doing your reporting, if mm -hmm. you don't have a little bit of nerves prior to any show you do, it means you don't care anymore. So if you have those nerves, even if you've done it a million times, it just shows that you care about what you're doing. Yeah. So it's okay to be nervous because it's not a bad thing. It's like adrenaline. You almost can feed off of it. Um, so I don't think I've ever lost the nerves, um, but I also think it's a good thing to still have. But as you, the more you do stuff, the more comfortable you get, yeah, the more familiar right. you get. And so, yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell how it all started. And then, you know, kind of went downhill from there <laughs> or <laughs> like not downhill, but you know what I mean? <laughs> downhill in your perspective, but I, I'd say uphill, but that's, I mean, that that's awesome. I love like reminiscing about the old speed days and especially from somebody like you who was literally boots on the ground for all those years. So you said that you were one of five people that were hired for that specific role um was rutledge in that role or was he already like there so rutledge was already doing a little bit of tv for speed channel okay but he he was before us but i'm trying to think um, yeah like out of those five people the i guess the other four were there any people that are like noteworthy today that we may we might see on tvs like weekly or was it kind of just people that went by the wayside yeah so they they all because that role wasn't necessarily to do reporting or be right, on camera right but um and there's been so since I was out there, there was the original five, but then we've had, I think, four or five other people over the years as people okay. moved on to other things. So uh, one of the guys, his name's Michael Foley. He actually works uh, closely with Joey Logano. So he's still cool. in the sport. Um, and then uh, the other Mike, 
because they were both named Mike. So we had Folly and Miz. Mike and so Mike. So Miz, Miz lives out in uh, California, and he's involved with uh, Button Willow Raceway Park. He manages that. Cool. Um, and then a couple of the other girls after that, I'm trying to think. Like Megan Lamontane was out there too at one point, and she lives in L.A. So she still does some on-camera stuff, and but more on the entertainment side. Um, but all, but honestly, later on, Caitlin Vinci, she was part of the road tour team in the later years. Cool. And obviously we know where Caitlin is now, but yep. she went from doing the road tour team and then she started doing, um, some segments for race hub. She did track side a little bit. And now here she is hosting race, hub. race day which yeah. and race hub, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she does the race day for the truck series. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been really fun to watch, uh, watch everything she's done but yeah, yeah that would be ass. probably yeah she's kicking major butt obviously but and she's been a great help in my career too she was actually the one who uh threw my name out as a potential person to use for the knn west series because at the time she was doing the east series so that was really awesome of her which is really yeah. nice because i think people don't really realize how much we all help each other out like you would think it'd be more competitive which it is it is a very cutthroat competitive business to be doing reporting especially in sports but we also all really help each other. So it's been really nice to uh, be able to lean on people. Or if I'm not available for an event, I can throw someone else's name out there and vice versa. So you've done that for me multiple times. (laughs) Yes, I have. (laughs) And I'm, and I probably will do it again. I'm sure there'll be more coming up. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So it's been fun. I mean, yeah, not everybody did that role to get to on camera or pit Mm -hmm. reporting, but uh, Caitlin was one that definitely did it myself another guy gannon hollywood he worked for power nation tv a little bit and he's doing some on-camera stuff so it's definitely really neat to watch and see where yeah. everybody's you know been and come and gone and went and where they ended up so you mentioned caitlin um is there anybody else that was at speed at that time that you worked somewhat closely with that you considered kind of like a mentor and i i don't know if you had any interactions with him but i know a lot of people that worked at speed or at fox sports one when it kind of rebranded and always mentioned the late steve burns so i was curious if you ended up having any interactions with him i was just gonna say steve burns that was the first one that came to my mind um i've had many many mentors over the years and still now but steve was amazing i actually kept uh, an email he sent me and i think it just kind of said you know stick with it keep doing what you're doing you know it was just it was a follow up to a conversation we had had but he was amazing he was so good at what he did and then and that's what that's what steve was all about too is that not only was he one of the best at what he did but he was more than willing to help anybody out yeah. and more than willing to tell you here's what you should do and this is the way to take it and yeah he was great steve was awesome um Rutledge has always been a good mentor to me, but even, you know, really, I could, I feel like I could name anybody <laughs> like Krista Voda has given me great advice. Caitlin's given me great advice. Um, Jamie Little is a huge one for me. She constantly will, you know, uh, throw my name out there if she's unavailable for something. Cause when she was living in Las Vegas, there are a few events that she threw my name out since I live in Arizona. I'm pretty mm-hmm. close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to feel bad because I feel like, I'm going to forget people, but I literally Regan Smith, I've worked with him closely. He's great. Like anybody that I've worked with at speed channel and Fox, pretty much all of those on it, on camera personalities, announcers, you know, Adam Alexander, Ray Dunlap, all of those guys, Bob Dillner. We did stuff together. All Wendy, Wendy Venturini. I work with her at PRN. 
Doug Rice appearance. Like, you know, literally everybody. Pretty much anybody that you've heard either on radio or television in NASCAR, I've had conversations with and asked questions and they've helped me out. Like quite possibly everybody out there I've at least talked to at least once just to get some advice. Yeah. And and that's what's cool is everybody kind of has different things that they can tell you, but a lot of it can be similar. But yeah, it's been really great. I'm very fortunate. And I'm glad you asked me that because it's making me feel good to know all those good people in my life. Yeah. Even if even if you don't end up, you know, with everything that's going on, it's kind of crazy that, yeah, this year I I don't have any pit reporting jobs. And even if, let's say I never do it again, I still have those people in my life. And I know that I can mm-hmm. still reach out to any of them at any time because we've built such good relationships, whether it was on a personal or professional level. So yeah. you just made my day just making me talk about that. <laughs> well, I'm glad. And part of that, too, I mean, like all those people, you have good friendships with and i've yes talked to all those people but they range from a five second hello how are you to a five minute conversation hi this is who i am this is what i want to do do you have any advice to a longer type of thing like we have which is like a legitimate friendship that kind of sparked from a professional happenstance type of thing so it's cool that you have been able to know all those people but beyond that develop and forge real friendships with them and you mentioned caitlin and jamie and a lot of other people i wanted to ask you about being a female in motorsports because i've talked to a couple people on the podcast and just also in general you know from from the outside you might think oh wow nascar is probably super uh male dominated which statistically yeah you could say that and there's probably some misogynistic people that are in the sport and that the fans all that stuff but has it ever really been a hurdle for you as a female to get to where you wanted to go, I guess, in motorsports? Because the people that I've talked to, specifically Hannah Newhouse, I mean, we obviously are really good friends with her. She said it's never really been an issue. Part of that was because of her driving background. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you're always going to have those people out there that are hating and just saying, well, she has this job because she's pretty. And it's just they don't understand that if they actually listen to the shows or watch the shows or listen to what these people are saying, they know their shit. So like when it comes to that, have you ever experienced any hurdles or negative aspects of being a female in a male dominated industry? You know, I've, I've thought about that a lot, but I can't really think of a specific instance that that's ever happened to me. Okay. Um, I but is it more so like a, is it more so like a general thing that you have to think about actively when in reality you shouldn't really have to. Is that more of what it's like? Maybe. Yeah. Cause I feel like, I feel like there's this perception that because you're a female or a woman that in any sport or in, or like, especially sports mainly, but like if you're on camera, I know that I've put pressure on myself to like know what I'm talking about because I never want to be seen as the dumb blonde that doesn't know what she's talking about. You know what I mean? Like not that people say that about you, but, when you have a wide range of people watching on television and then you put a girl up there to talk about a male dominated sport. I don't know if we just always had this like perception that they were just going to think that you don't know what you're talking about because you're a female. Nobody's ever said that to me, but, but there's, but there is the perception out floating there. around. Yeah. Like exactly. There's a stereotype floating around now, but I've never felt that from anybody in the sport, That's good. like any of the teams or, you know, um, people that I've worked with alongside like other, um, mm-hmm. announcers and commentators and things like that, because it doesn't matter if you're a female or a male, 
you need to know your shit, period. <laughs> so yeah. the problem's going to be that if you don't know what you're doing and you haven't done your homework, then that's what's going to get you into trouble. It really doesn't matter who you are. And that's where you're going to get these people that will say things like, you know, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about. But it doesn't have anything to do with your gender, really. It's just you got to do your homework. And I, I, know, I know Jamie Little has said this many times, that she will outwork anyone. She was just going to outwork anyone. And that's the mentality that you have to have in that realm of being a reporter because you do need to be willing to do the homework, put in the footwork to get the job done, and then be able to speak about it knowledgeably. And that there's also the gaining respect of the competitors that you're covering. Which is whether everything. It's the, yes, whether it's the driver, the crew chief, even you know the spotters, everybody. They, you need to gain that respect that – they trust that you're there for the right reason to do the job and that you're also going to cover them in a respectful manner. Mm -hmm. And that way they feel comfortable giving you information because if, if you do things or say things that aren't correct, you can appear to be somebody that looks like they haven't done the research. Um, and, and in fact, actually I was, this wasn't an on camera interview, but at a hospitality event in Talladega, I was interviewing Danica Patrick. And I made it fun because it wasn't on camera. It was just for the fans, just something fun to do and asked all kinds of different questions from her cooking and yoga and all this stuff. And this was years ago, but, um, her PR, uh, lady came up to me later in the day. I was just on pit road, like watching the race. And she came up and she said, Hey, you're the one that interviewed Danica earlier. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And I thought immediately like, Oh crap, what did I do? Like, What did I say? And then she said, hey, I just want to let you know that when Danica got back on the golf cart, she said, man, that girl is good. Like, she really did her research. So they really appreciate that when you take the time to not just ask the same questions, but actually dive deeper and make yeah. sure that you know about this person and know, you know, smart and, and intelligent questions to ask that aren't just surface level. So that's the point of telling that is really do your homework on you might still know that person. But really do your homework and try to get to know them, not just about their driving abilities, but maybe yeah. maybe things that are, you know, on another level. But yeah, but to go back to your original question, I've worked in like male dominated dominated industries ever since I like I worked at the tire shop forever and I grew up going to the racetrack with my dad. So to me, I don't know like it's not like it's normal. I don't feel any different. It's normal. I'm I'm I've always been a tomboy. I've been like a guy's girl. I'm always in like some of my best friends are guys. I just, it's kind of like for me, it's just where I feel comfortable. So I've never, thank God I've never felt that way. However, you know, it doesn't, you're still going to encounter stuff like that. I I feel like a couple of times, maybe some fans said something to me at the speed stage, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you don't know. Cause, and it's like, okay. Yeah. And then you, all you have to do, the all you have to do to people like that is just, you don't have to be mean, but then you just go, Oh, well, well, you ask them some question, like some trivia question that they don't know. And then they're like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm sorry. Who knows about it? And then, so you just flip <laughs> it so that it's funny and then it, everybody right. can move on and it's like not a big deal. No, but yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like I feel similar to Hannah that I don't, I don't feel like I've ever encountered anything. And if anything, I feel like everybody's been really super, um, accepting and respectful to me. And maybe it's just because of how I've carried myself and what I've done. Maybe, you know, even though, like say I was covering the KNN West series and hadn't done anything on the cup level yet. Mm-hmm. Those guys still probably have maybe seen some of that or they've seen me around and they know my face or 
Maybe I interviewed him at a hospitality deal because I did a lot of that prior to on camera and prior to doing race broadcast of like yeah. PRN and stuff. So they're familiar with you and then they're more comfortable. And then, you know, it kind of yeah. goes on from there. Well, I'm glad I got that. Cause I mean, I'll be on Instagram one day and I'll see like, it, there's like a little group of like, there's you, Hannah, like Monica Palumbo, Caitlin Vinci, yep. and Jamie Little, and you guys all, and of course I'm forgetting a bunch of other like female NASCAR reporters, but you guys always like gas each other up on Instagram. And I'm like, this is cool. It's like a little tight knit unit of female reporters that just all want each other to succeed. And it's like, I hope that there's no like bitchiness behind the scenes because this is very wholesome. So I'm glad yeah. <laughs> that there's actually no bitchiness behind the scenes and it is wholesome. Yes. And I've never, I personally don't feel like I've seen any bitchiness myself but i appreciate all those ladies and it's definitely flattering a lot of times when yeah. you do get tagged in like a conversation like that and you're like oh cool i'm part of the cool kid crew like you know <laughs> like it's just nice but really like i said before everybody that i've worked with in the sport whether it's speed channel fox like all of those announcers and commentators and analysts like i can say that i've i have a good relationship with them i'm friends with them and we genuinely are there to support each other, whether we're working on a broadcast together or just, you know, normal day life. So it's pretty yeah. neat. And we're back. Thank you for sticking with me in the first little bit of that. But man, I told you Heather is something. And I know you guys are probably saying, Oh no, that's it. Or you're saying, thank God, but good news for you. We got about 45 more minutes coming next week with Heather to finish off our second installment of our interview with her. So Heather, thank you again, uh, and we'll hear more of you next week. Let's briefly preview this upcoming weekend's race at the Daytona International Speedway Road Course. Absolutely nobody knows what the hell's going on, what to expect. There was a chicane that was added on the front stretch because people were saying that with this road course package, which has the increased horsepower, cars are going to be going around 200 miles an hour coming barreling down into the left-hander, um, which is turn one. And that was going to be very unsafe, especially with no practice, no qualifying, no track time besides the pace laps. Um, it's going to be insane. But ARCA does have an hour of practice, which I find interesting. Like you think if they could give ARCA an hour of practice, you could give Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup also an hour of practice. But who knows? That's why they get paid the big bucks and I don't. Um, Kevin Harvick is on the pole. Um, and the formula to get to that spot, they revamped it. I believe I talked about it before, but... You combine your fastest lap from the prior race, where you are in the point standings, and your finishing position from the last race. So given that Kevin won the race, is first in points, and probably had the fastest lap, yeah, that'll get him the pole very easily. Um, him, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, a few others that are in the field have some experience on the Daytona road course before, but not this, I guess you could say, revamped configuration. Harvick did a 24-hour race in 2002, Jimmy Johnson has done one before, and Kyle Busch actually did it earlier this year for a uh, Toyota-branded team. I think they ran Lexuses in that race. Um, Lexuses, by the way. Is it Lexi? I don't know. Um, again, do we know what to expect? Absolutely not. I would suggest looking up Ryan Ellis' tweet of what turn one, lap one is going to be like, and uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be far off, but again, who knows? That's why we got to tune in. This is a big opportunity. If you're a fan of NASCAR, you got to watch this one. Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on big NBC. A huge time slot on a Sunday afternoon for a huge anticipated race 
Let's deliver, people. I'm talking to you drivers. I'm talking to you race control. I'm talking to you fans. Everybody, let's have a good time watching some road racing and some unpredictable ones at that. Black Nets of the Week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Some sponsorship announcements this week. A triple dose of them. Bubba Wiles and Columbia Sportswear. They have signed a multi-year deal, and that includes being a primary sponsor on the 43 at Dover. Speaking of Bubba, he said that he has offers from not only Richard Petty Motorsports with an increased role in ownership because he said that he's had that since about 2019, but also said that Chip Ganassi Racing has talked to him and approached him about a possible ride for next year. So we still don't know at this current moment what Bubba's going to do in terms of his ride for 2021, but we shall see sooner rather than later, I'd say. Ryan Newman and Guaranteed Rate, they have signed on for a primary sponsor for most of the rest of the season. Started as a one-off, but clearly they like their ROI, so they signed back on. Good for them. And Alex Bowman and Hendrick Motorsports as a whole have welcomed Acronis, which is a cybersecurity company, onto the team. Uh, they're going to run a primary paint scheme on the 88 for Bowman three times for the rest of this year, and they are also going to be an associate sponsor through 2023. Penalty report from Michigan. Only William Byron and Denny Hamlin's crew chiefs, being Chad Knauss and Chris Gabehart, respectively, were fined $10,000 for a loose lug nut. Chris Busher and Ryan Newman from Roush Fenway Racing, you guys probably saw pre-race, they had their spoilers confiscated on Sunday. That came with 20 driver points, 20 owner points, and a $25,000 fine for each crew chief. Brendan Gaughan has thankfully recovered from COVID-19, and he will compete this weekend at the Daytona Road Course for Beard Motorsports. Looking forward to seeing him back behind the wheel and being his jovial self. Spire Motorsports has confirmed their purchase of Levine Family Racing's charter for 2021 and I guess beyond, and they said that they are going to operate as a two-car team. Uh, Bob Levine obviously announced earlier, I think a couple weeks ago at this point, that he would be selling the team at season's end. That means that Eric Jones is going to be out of a ride uh, because Christopher Bell was announced that he will be filling that seat for next year. Eric Jones announced with Joe Gibbs Racing basically that there would not be um, a mutual partnership past this season for them. Uh, and then Christopher Bell was announced less than a week later. So we all saw that coming, but now it is officially official. And the last lug nut of this week is that Alex Tagliani is going to run the Daytona road course for Cobb Bush Motorsports in the truck series. He's got to be an instant favorite in that series. And also Will Rogers, news broken by yours truly, will compete for um, David Mayhew's team, the number 17 orange and camo paint scheme in the Arca Menard series. He also has got to be a favorite to win that race. Arca on Friday, Xfinity on Saturday, Trucks Sunday afternoon, and Cup after the Trucks on Sunday. That'll wrap things up for episode 68, the Janet Guthrie slash all the other people my dad mentioned <laughs> edition of Victory Lane 2.0. Thanks again to Heather for coming on. Thank you guys for bearing with me in my absence. Please do me a favor, if you like what you heard, leave a rating and a review to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud. Anywhere you get your podcast, it is likely that we are there for your consumption. Again, I appreciate you guys sticking with me. I appreciate you guys um, giving me the support. Uh, really do. If you have a possible sponsor that would like to partner with me, let me know, and I will possibly reach out to them. I'm trying to Maybe get a sponsor on board for Victory Lane. Maybe make some cash moolah. Because if you guys didn't know, I don't make a dime off this. I lose money. So 
Uh, I do this for fun and for my personal growth and gain and sanity. So I'm going to stop blabbering. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week to recap the racing at Daytona, preview Dover, talk to Heather some more, and everything else in between. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. Be good.